All right. Benjamin, 1 Corinthians 7. Good morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife, 
But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live, live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, I pray that we would be submissive to it, moldable in your hands. No, Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled as I teach, Lord, that each one of us might be spirit-filled as our listeners, that you might have your way in our life, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, up to this point, the Apostle Paul has been dealing with the sins reported that were known in the Corinthian congregation, we've been dealing with those things chapter by chapter. Now he switches, and for the rest of the book, he's going to be answering questions, questions they put to him. 1 Corinthians 7, about marriage. In verses 8 through 11, what about meat offered to idols? And cultural questions about where they were living. How much did they get involved? In chapters 12 through 14, he talks about spiritual gifts because they had a lot of abuse going on of spiritual gifts. Chapter 15, he answers questions about the resurrection. And in chapter 16, questions about the offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And so, since Paul is not just, uh, he's answering questions that they had, he's not necessarily spelling out a complete theology of marriage in one chapter. It's necessary to consider as well what the rest of the Bible has to say about our roles in marriage. Now, Paul encouraged celibacy in, in his teaching and his example. It's simple, right? I mean, it's just not hard to understand that if you're not married, you have a lot more freedom to just seek whatever the Lord would have you to be doing in your ministry. But he's not saying that one is more spiritual than the other. He's just saying you have less responsibility and you could be totally focused on the Lord if you're single. 
But in this factious church, you have all these parties, so now, no doubt there are some that are going around, they're trying to get everybody hooked up and married off, and the other side is looking down on that side saying, oh, no, no, you're not as spiritual because you need to be like us, we're single, unlike Paul. So basically here in verses 1 through 7, they're saying, what about marriage? Should Christians get married? Well, he gives the main reason is to avoid sexual sin. I know as Christians, sometimes we get a really high moral motivation, high standards about when we should get married. But here, it's very simple. He says, now concerning the things about which I wrote you, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. In, in uh, Ben's English, uh, New English Version, it says not to have sexual relations. But because of immorality, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. It's the way God made us. He, made, he gave those different appetites, but he said the only place they could be fulfilled is a man and a woman in matrimony, in marriage. And so he's saying here, it's not wrong to get married. In fact, a good reason to get married is you, you found that person that uh, you want to get married. And in our culture, what we do is we, we get together, we plan for years for this ceremony. Let me tell you something. Number one, it doesn't matter how much you pay, dads, this will be good news for you. That marriage is not going to go any better by you spending more money on the ceremony and the party that follows. So you could take that to the bank. Marriage is so much more than the ceremony. And God is more concerned about you young people, about your purity, than how much money you start with. It doesn't take two years to plan a wedding. And so John MacArthur says, if you found that person through wise counsel and your parents are involved, it looks like she's the right one, he's the right one, then get married. We'll talk more about that later. The other question they had was, I'm sure they were seeing some dissension in marriages. And he said, listen, here's the deal. Guys, you don't own your body. Your wife does. Wife, you don't own your body. Your husband does. God intended for marriage to be heaven on earth, but sin messed it all up. But as believers, if we're willing to submit to the word of God and to one another, our homes can become that reflection of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ. That's what God intended. Read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to the end of the chapter. That's what God intended And what a supernatural presentation we have the potential in our Christian homes. But if we're vying for control and power, and you say, well, Paul didn't like women either. Well, that that, that information that he gave there in 1 Peter 3 and in Ephesians 5, that's old-fashioned. Listen, God instituted marriage. He created it. He's telling us how it operates The problem is you can't operate in that grace if you have no grace. Now, there are believers who know the Lord that choose their own way. And I tell when young people are getting married, I tell them, listen, this is your marriage. It's like when you go down and buy a car here from Geomato Center, and they give you all the recommended times you should do service and maintenance. You say, it's my car. I'm not going to change the oil, all right? When that thing melts down and turns solid, then don't blame the GM Corporation for making a lousy car. It takes maintenance. This is God's instruction manual. For believers, this is how it works. 
He says, now, stop depriving one another. Obviously, there was trouble going on in these homes and these marriages. He said, I say this by way of concession, not a command, and yet I wish all men were even as myself. Paul was single. And he could give all of his focus on the Lord and where he was going next. And yet he says, however, each man has own gift from God. You're not more spiritual if you stay single. You're not more spiritual if you get married. And so he's going to lay out just the responsibilities so you have a clear picture of what's going on. A successful, happy marriage is not dependent solely on whom you marry. It's you being the right person in a marriage. As two people submit to the Scripture and to one another. In verses 8 and 9, they had another question. What about divorced Christians? Can they be remarried? They, they couldn't find that information. Now, as I was a young pastor, and I grew up in, in uh, churches that believed that once you were married, that was it. You can't get married. Does it, some, some even teach that once you're widowed, you can't be remarried. Well, it's just that the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, there's more freedom under the law in the Old Testament law than people were given in some of those legalistic churches. So Paul gives some instruction. He says, first of all, there are different kinds of marriages. John MacArthur said if a man and woman, uh, a slave wanted to be married, or if their master wanted to put two people together to produce more slaves, then he would say, here you go. And so they were together as long as the master said they were to be together. But then maybe he sold one of them, or he moved them out and put them with somebody else. Now they're Christians. What do they do? Can they be remarried? Because they had no choice in it before. But was that their child? That was their chance. They had no chance for marriage anymore. He's going to give information about that. Another kind of marriage is um, uses. That's just a form of common law marriage, and we recognize that today. Once a couple has lived together for a certain amount of time, like a year, then the government looks at them like they're married. A third type was the coemptio in manum, which a father would sell his daughter to a prospective husband. And maybe that husband got tired of her, and all of a sudden she's, he trades her in for another bottle, and now she's single, now she's come to Christ. Can she be married? And last, the patrician class, the nobility were married in a service called the conferiatio, which, in moderate, which is our modern Christian marriage ceremony is based on today. But divorce was common, no matter what kind of marriage there was. It wasn't unusual for people to be married 20 times in their life. Kind of like the United States. So what does the church do about that? Very simple. I say the unmarried. That means people that were married before, but now for one reason or another, they're not married now. I say to the unmarried and to widows that it's good for them to remain even as I, but if they do not have self-control, let them bear, marry, for it is better marry than it is to burn with passion. Same motivations he gave the people that had not been married before. That it's better if you stay single, you have more opportunity to just serve the Lord, but if God hasn't given you that gift, it's better to marry than it is to burn with passion. Thirdly, verses 10 11, what about unhappily married Christians? Maybe they got married, they were, not uns they were unsaved, now they're both Christians, but they've never gotten along. And now they look around and they say, well, man, I think that Christian over there would be a lot better for me. 
And so Paul has to give some instruction. He said, no, no. If you're Christians and you're married, then you stay married. A wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried. So, or else be reconciled to her husband, that the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, maybe there are two Christians that just can't get along. He's saying, you can get divorced, you just can't get remarried unless you decide to remarry one another. That's the Christian thing to do. That's what the Bible says. That's his instruction. So you don't have to stay married, but you don't have the freedom to to ditch this one and then go look for another one. If you're both believers. Now, this is where church discipline comes in. Because if you have a couple, maybe it's a wife, she is not going to submit to the word and she's not going to submit to her husband. And so what does the Bible say? Matthew 18. The husband talks to her. Maybe he gets another Christian woman to come and talk to her. And after two and three, they tell it to the church. If she won't listen to the church, it says, let her be a publican and sinner. And then if she doesn't want to stay married or he doesn't want to stay married, you've gone through the process. Then the person, the innocent party, is free to be remarried again. That's what the Bible says. See, the problem is a lot of people say they're Christians when they get married, and they're really not Christians. And marriage has a way of kind of fleshing out what the heart really is, doesn't it? It's a refining process, or it's a wind that blows the chaff away. It's tough. Fourthly, verses 12 through 16, here's a modern word, a blended marriage, where you have a saved partner and an unsaved partner. What does the Bible say about that? Maybe they're unequal because of disobedience. Maybe they didn't have a lot of discipleship. Churches don't teach that. They don't want to hurt anybody's feelings today. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. We looked at that at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Whether it's a business relationship or in marriage, you don't date unsaved people because you're not supposed to marry unsaved people. And we said before, it may not be a sin to date an unsaved person, but it's a stupid because you're opening yourself up to that, those relationships, and pretty soon you're saying, oh, well, I just can't stand to live without them, and so you marry them. And then you wake up later, and you go, oh, what did I do? Maybe there's people, they were both unsaved when they got married, and now one has come to Christ. So what do we do? Some of these people were thinking, I, I better not be married to this person, because if I am, what about my kids? Because they were concerned about the influence of the world and of Satan, and so their children would be unclean. And he doesn't mean that somehow the kids are dirty. What he's, what he's meaning, talking about is the influence of the world and of the devil on their children. That's a good concern. So should they trade this one in and find a Christian one? Paul says, no, you don't. There are good homes that get along and they have great marriages where one is saved and one is not saved. And he said, as long as the unsaved partner is willing to live with you, then you stay faithful. Because how do you know? By your example, they won't come to Christ. You won't save your husband or, or husband who has an unsaved wife. You won't see your wife come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. First Peter 3.1 says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands, that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word. And that's good advice for husbands also who may be married to a woman who's disobedient to the word. Not by your preaching at them, not by your rules and regulations, but by your chaste and holy behavior. How do you know they won't come to Christ? 
Fifthly, verses 17 through 28, he's just going to talk about providential assignments. You come to church and all of a sudden you have a lot of people telling you what to do and and maybe, you know, you weren't circumcised. You need to be circumcised. You were circumcised before. You need to, I don't know how you undo that, but there's some way. He's just making a point. However God called you, you be satisfied in that place. And then he's going to go on to talk about the real responsibilities, verses 29 through 35, and what our priorities should be, whether we're married or not. Verse 29, this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. What does he mean? Does it mean you ignore your responsibilities to your family? No. What he means is you keep Christ central. Now, other people might say, it seems like you don't take time for your family because you're spending all your time serving the Lord. But what he's saying is the center of the home ought to be serving the Lord. That's, that's both partners equal, pulling together for what God wants for them. Then he says, and those that weep as though they did not weep. We're not distracted. Tragedy happens in the world. And the Bible says for us believers, when a believer dies, we sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. We can get back on the horse and ride again. We don't have to be thrown off. We can continue to serve. He said, those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of the world is passing away. We're not to be distracted by everyday living. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how may it please the Lord. Again, he comes with this information. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Now, he's not talking about worldliness. He's just saying there's practical responsibilities you have as a Christian man, as a Christian wife, and so there's certain things you have to do. You can't be just focused on the Lord because it would be sin to neglect your family, say that you're working for the Lord. How many powerful men of God have lost their families because they neglected them? How many women have discouraged their children because they don't have time for their home because they're always down the church doing important work. He's just stating the facts. You have responsibilities as a Christian husband or Christian wife. And so he says, verse 34, your interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord. How she may be holy both in body and spirit, but the one who is married concerned about the things of this world, how she may please her husband. He says, now I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, I don't want you to feel bad about the fact that you're married or that you're not married, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So that's going to take some time, isn't it? That's going to take, whether you're married or single, a relationship with the Lord, so you know you're directed by the Lord and you're not just kind of go along with whatever happens in the world. Seventh, verses 36 through 38 what about parents in marriage? What role do they play? In this culture, there was arranged marriage. Now, we as Americans, oh, first we just reject that. Oh, arranged marriage. I want you to know that for Christians around the world, this is more normal than what we do, this roulette we play with our kids. Oh, well, just figure it out. We tell our kids what to do until they start making important decisions, and then kind of we back off and say, well, hope that doesn't leave a mark. But don't blame me. I didn't tell you to marry her, right? 
We should be involved. You should be teaching your sons and your daughters that mom and dad are going to be involved in this decision by the time when they're very young and they're growing up. We told our boys, hey, we're going to help you pick out your wife. We're going to do that for you. And your brothers are going to help too because we're building a team here. It's called a family. Now, we're not here to control anybody, but who knows those children better than the parents and better than the siblings, right? Who knows them? You bring somebody else in, all of a sudden, they may be a Christian, but it might not be a good match. Now, in this case here, what was going on is some of these dads had little girls, and they'd heard this teaching and seen the example of Paul about being celibate, so for all their daughters, they said, you know, you know honey, and this probably makes warm some dads' hearts, you're not going to get married. You're just going to take care of me and mom. Well, that sounds good to a little girl. That's what some of my granddaughters are saying. I don't need to get married, Pop. I'm just going to take care of you. And I say, amen. That's a good idea. You don't need those ugly boys. But things are going to change. And so now that things are changing, these daughters are saying, Dad, I want to get married. Paul's just saying, listen, you haven't sinned. Let them get married. That's okay. Let them get married. But if that vow holds true and they say, you know, Dad, I just find serving the Lord is all I need to do, that you don't have to, you can just stand firm in your decision and, and they don't have to get married. But what parent doesn't love his children, right? Parent knows his children. And sometimes we're young and we make decisions and later we say, oh, and Paul's just saying, listen, you don't have to stick to that vow. You made it in good conscience, but it's not wrong for them to get married. Now, they're going to have trouble. They're going to have this division. It's going to be hard. There's going to be challenges. We all know we've been married that there's challenges. You take two, well, two lives and you weld them together, there's going to be some heat. And, and it's not just all love. She's going to squeeze the toothpaste in the middle, and she's not going to do it right, and he's going to do some things that are just, we don't do that in our family. And they're going to have a whole another unit that's different and it's beautiful, but there's challenges. Now, the marriage relationship, I don't know how many guys have come to me. They got married. That's going to be the answers to everything. And they come to me later and say, Paul, I, boy, I'll tell you what, this marriage thing, that's a sanctifier, isn't it? I say, oh, yes, it is. It's a sanctifier. You see all your selfishness, right? The Lord lays it out there for you. You want to be right, and you're just wrong. You're just wrong. And what happens in that process is you actually learn how to love sacrificially. God did that on purpose. It's a blessing. But parents, you need to be involved. Verses 38 and 39. What about widows? Can they remarry? He says very simply... A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if he's died, she's free. She could be remarried. It's okay. She's not sinning. She can be remarried. But, in my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think also I have the Spirit of God. Now, later Paul writes, and he says, you know, I would that the younger widows marry. That they raise children. So Paul's not against marriage. He's saying, listen, what, what giftedness has God given you? Maybe one time was enough. Don't feel pressure to have to get married if you're widowed. 
but it's not a sin. If you want to be remarried, it's okay. Just some parting thoughts. Young man, you find that virtuous Christian girl, you check with your parents, you check with her dad, then marry her. Don't be a Peter Pan. We're raising America, a whole generation of snowflakes that don't want any responsibility. Everything's just provided. So when it's easy, then maybe they'll get married. I'm going to tell you something, young men, young Christian men. God built you to be hooked up to a heavy load. If God's called you to be married, that's where you're going to be functioning the best. And I will tell you by experience, my marriage, my home and family is the most fulfilling part of ministry and life. It is. It is. But if we're sitting around waiting until you feel ready, again, God is more concerned about your purity than how much money you start your, your, your marriage with. He'll get you through. What does the scripture say about the character qualities to look for in a husband or wife? Well, for wives, we have Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, wife, she's pretty amazing. She not only is uh, taking care of her house, but she's got a textile business on the side, and she sells her products to merchants. She has people working for her, and she gets up before morning and prepares breakfast for her family and for the girls that are working for her. And she takes the profit from that business, and she goes out and she buys a farm. Now, I'm not saying she didn't check with her husband, but this is her decision. She must know what she's doing. So she buys a place of ground and she plants a vineyard. She's not just stuck at home. But the priority of that girl is taking care of her home. And out of that home, because her husband is a provider and an encourager, she becomes more than a homemaker. She's a businesswoman. She's in the farming business and she has a lot of people working for her. It says, an excellent wife who can find. Her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her that he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Verse 28, her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Now, we all know about that, but how does a young woman find the qualifications for a guy well, I'd say 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the qualifications for an elder. Now listen, guys, in girls, you're not going to find the full-blown virtuous woman that's buying farms already, probably, unless you're marrying an older woman, probably married a younger woman, but it's not perfection, it's direction. It's what she values, the same thing for young men. Young women, you look and what you're looking for in a husband, look at these qualifications. It's not that he's there in every respect mature, but that's what he desires for his life. 1 Timothy 3.2, he must be above reproach. He must be a one-woman man. You don't want to marry a philanderer or a big flirt. He's temperate. He's prudent. He knows how to make decisions. He's respectable. He's hospitable. He's able to teach, and he's teachable. He's not addicted to wine. He's not pugnacious. That means he argues about everything and settles things ultimately with his fist or with a punishing tongue. He's gentle, peaceable. 
He's not greedy. He's free from the love of money. He's one who manages his own household well. He's the kind of guy that's going to keep be an example for his children, a leader, and he's going to be able to bring discipline to his family because he's self-disciplined. He's not a new convert. Oh, that is really, really, really good advice, girls. I know what some of you are going to do. You're going to find that hunk of man, and you're going to bring him to church. You're going to say, hey, just say this prayer, and I can marry you. Or you could say, here, eat this mud pie. And you go, okay, great, I want that mud pie, right? Because he's in love, and he just wants you. So he makes a decision. He never gets saved. But you think, hey, we got him across, we got him across the legal side. And you'll pay the rest of your life. Don't play that game. I'm not saying that he can't have just come to Christ, but hopefully it's not because you did it, right? You led him in the little prayer. But it's somebody that you've seen growing. It says he must have a good reputation with those that are outside the church. What do other people think about him? How does he treat his mother? Because that's how he's going to treat you. And he might say, oh, no, no, my mom's a jerk. Well, one day you're going to be that jerk. He's going to treat you just how he treated his mom. And again, it's direction, not perfection. It's the desire of those young people's lives. So it's scripture. What does the Bible say? Don't be unequally yoked. It's prayer. It's parents, because who knows you better than your parents do? It's wise counsel. It's your brothers and sisters. What do they think about this person? Because you can be equally yoked and not well matched. Now that said, Wearsby says it takes more than two Christian people to make a happy marriage. Not every marriage that is scriptural is necessarily sensible. David Brainerd, the great missionary to the Native Americans in New England in the 1700s, fell ill, was taken care of by Jerusha Edwards, that was Jonathan Edwards' daughter, and then they kind of fell in love. And so he asked for a hand in marriage, and Jonathan Edwards loved David Brainerd. He loved his ministry, and he said no. And David Brainerd said, well, is she not a believer? Jonathan Edwards said this. This is good wisdom. The grace of God can live with, other, with some that others cannot. The grace of God can live with some that others cannot. And he didn't let them get married because he loved the ministry. He didn't know how much time at that point David Brainerd had left, but he didn't want his daughter messing him up. How many young men think they're called to ministry and they marry some girl and that girl is so needy, she becomes the ministry. That's all they do the rest of their life because that's what the Bible says. Now, if you're out there languishing because you're still single, remember, it's easier to want what you don't have than to have what you don't want. So you just look for anybody to marry and then you end up miserable. Marriage is for life. Make sure it's not a life sentence. And this is just for me, Pablo. Hormones can make you stupid at any age. Yeah, you start thinking with your hormones, and even if you're old and it's your second time or third time getting married, you can still make a dumb decision. It's wisdom. And that's why we check with other people. Not people are just going to agree, but people that are going to give us wisdom. Booker Brown, the soul singer, put it into a song, Love is Blind, but the Neighbors Ain't. Some people can see things. You're all in love and you're emotional and and, and you're not considering the whole deal. You're not asking all the hard questions, but 
Your parents will. Be willing in that hard time and don't make those decisions at the engagement party and premarital counseling trying to find out if this is the right one. You've already made the decision. People have come to me in that place and said, Pastor, what do you really think? I said, you don't want to know. Oh, we really do. Really? Here's what I think about you two getting married. We hate you. All right, that came with it. I deserve that. They're listening at that point. You're on the road to getting married. These, this kind of wisdom and, and introspection with your parents and with counselors needs to take place way before. Now, I know the world, the last thing you do is meet the parents. Not in the Christian life. That's the first thing. And even if those parents are unsaved, they have some wisdom to contribute because they know that child. They know their own child. This is the most important institution on this earth that you will establish, your home. It's the first one that God established. So get God's wisdom. Father, we thank you for your wisdom, Lord, for the word of God, and for this instruction. Lord, I pray for those who are here that they don't have grace because they don't have you. And they're struggling in their marriage. Lord, I pray that you draw them to yourself. Not just for their marriage, Lord, but for their eternal life. And for us as believers, that we would take your word and put it into our heart, that we would live by your word, we'd submit to it. Lord, I thank you for the homes that are represented in our church. Lord, there are some homes that are are being challenged. If Satan wants to destroy everything God created... Lord, for the most part, you've given husbands and wives that understand their responsibilities and they love where you've placed them. And Lord, I pray that you protect our young people. Give them wisdom. Lord, we love the children we have here and all the babies are being born and we want even some more. So bless us with more happy homes, Lord, and then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.